Thank you, Rich. It's great to be with you all again this morning. Um, this is my second time teaching in the series on the fruit of the Spirit. So you can go ahead and turn in your Bibles to Galatians 5, verses 22 and 23. And uh, we'll jump right in. Um, but a few years ago, several years ago actually, I attended a funeral of a family friend. And as I say that, I realize I'm not sure if you're supposed to start a sermon with talking about a funeral. But anyway, kind of a downer note. But I, it was interesting. I, I um, listened as they, they had an open mic time. And people who, who knew the, the friend who died, we'll call him Bill, they were, they were sharing things about his life and how he had touched their lives. And one of the people who spoke stood up. He was an unsaved co-worker of this man, Bill. And I honestly don't remember much of what the man said, but one thing stuck with me. He said, old Bill, he was just a good dude. Well, I wasn't really sure what the man meant. Um, And questions came to my mind, like, how do you define what a good person is? Can there even be such a thing as a good person other than Jesus? Well, it's hard. It may be hard to answer questions like these, but one thing that we all recognize is that there are some things that are they're recognizable as as good, even to unbelievers. They there's something just that stands out as as what is good, even if it may be hard to define. Well, that's exactly what we're going to talk about today. We're going to talk about the fruit of the Spirit, goodness. And we're going to hear what God's Word has to say about it, not, not an unsaved co-worker. Uh, but before we talk about goodness specifically, I want to just kind of do a quick review about the fruit of the Spirit in general, um, just because it's been a little while since we started our series, and you may be starting to forget where we're at, getting bogged down in the weeds a little bit. But Paul's writing to a group of churches in Galatia, and they were struggling because they were drifting away from the gospel. There were false teachers there in the church who were um, trying to mix law-keeping in with the gospel as being necessary for salvation. Paul's writing to warn these churches of how dangerous this teaching is. He says in Galatians 2.21, I do not nullify the grace of God, for if righteousness were through the law, then Christ died for no purpose. He says in another letter, 1 Timothy 1.9, he says, Understanding this, that the law is laid down, is not laid down, excuse me, for the just, but for the lawless and disobedient, for the ungodly and sinners, for the unholy and profane. He's saying that the law only helps if you recognize that you're totally incapable of keeping it and you turn to Christ who perfectly kept it for you. That if you teach that salvation is by grace alone, then this will lead you to licentiousness, the the word that Clay told us about that no one ever uses at the beginning of the series. 
It's living as if you have a license to sin. Sounds like the word license. Paul says the opposite is true. If you believe that salvation is by grace alone, through faith alone, you will have the Holy Spirit of God dwelling inside of you, and that is your power to obey, not the law. The law can't give you the power to obey. It can tell you what to do, but it doesn't enable your dead heart to actually obey. So let's go ahead and read our passage, and we'll go ahead and start back in verse 16. Paul says, But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. He says you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. That's what the false teachers were apparently worried about. They thought if you, if you don't add law to the gospel, then you'll be gratifying the desires of your sinful flesh all the time. Paul says, no, if you walk... Verse 17, for the desires of the flesh are against the spirit, and the desires of the spirit are against the flesh. If you're trying to produce your own righteousness based on the law and your own keeping of the law, he says this is what you can expect. This will be the, what is produced, the works from your flesh. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, Dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God, but the fruit of the Spirit. So if you have the Spirit living inside of you, this is what will be produced. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, Kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. For those who belong to Christ have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. So the fruit of the Spirit, it's the perfect guard against both legalism and licentiousness. If you realize that the, the Spirit is the one who produces it and you can't produce it on your own, you won't be legalistic. If you, if you truly have the Spirit and He is producing this in you, you won't be living a life of licentiousness. So the question arises, do we have to do anything in this process or does God do it all? Well, the Spirit produces the fruit in our lives in the life of every genuine believer as we submit ourselves to his will. And of course, as you know, we find his will in his word. It's not some mystical thing. The Spirit inspired the word of God, and that's where we find his will. So as we submit our lives to that and come up under that, he produces fruit in our lives. And it doesn't happen all at once. It 
take consistency over the long haul. But as we make those day-to-day decisions to obey God and obey his word, he'll produce this fruit in our lives, the character of Christ. And it happens as we stop relying on our own efforts and rely on the Spirit to do it. So now we're going to talk about goodness specifically. We've gone through love, joy, peace, patience, and Colin taught us on kindness last week. And now we're on goodness. So I'm going to give you three things that we need to know about goodness. The first thing is we need to know what goodness is. If we're going to be able to have goodness in our lives, we've got to know clearly what it is. And goodness is a hard word to pin down and define because it's used so generally in so many different ways, both in the Bible and in our everyday speech. Goodness can mean a lot of things. So it's hard to boil it down to a definition of just one thing that's very specific. The Bible talks about good versus evil in a moral sense. And this can refer to the condition of a person's heart as well. Jesus said in Matthew twelve thirty five, The good person, out of his good treasure, brings forth good. And the evil person, out of his evil treasure, brings forth evil. There are a lot of other ways the Bible talks about good as well. It talks about good and bad things happening to people in the sense of either good fortune or misfortune. It talks about doing good deeds. It talks about giving good things. Another thing that's worth pointing out about the word goodness is that it's not always translated goodness in our English Bibles in every passage. Sometimes it's translated kindness or generosity, depending on the context. So as I was trying to, starting to prepare for teaching this week, I noticed last week Colin taught on, on kindness, and I noticed a lot of things that he said about it seemed very similar to the word goodness. And I think the meaning of goodness is very similar to the, the word kindness. So even though kindness and goodness are not the exact same thing, I think of them kind of like two twin sisters. They're, they're not the same, but sometimes it's hard to tell them apart because they look so much alike. It's kind of like if you were to say, God sure has been good to us this year. It's almost like saying God's been kind to us. One way to think about it that might be helpful is that goodness motivates our kindness. Or to reverse it, kindness toward others is an expression of goodness. Is one expression of goodness. It's one specific expression of goodness. And as we try to understand what goodness is better, we need to start with God. God is the source of all goodness. And anything good in us or anything good that we do comes from God. Goodness is a facet of God's character. It's one of his attributes. God's goodness is similar to his righteousness. John MacArthur said that goodness is like the softer side of of God's righteousness. God would have been totally righteous if he had chosen to send us all to hell for our sin. But because he's good, He chose to show mercy on us and save us instead. Yet he did it without compromising his righteousness even for an instant. 
if God's righteousness is a mountain, goodness is the sunny side of that mountain. And God gives us, us goodness too. As his children, he allows us to share in this aspect of his character. The goodness from God is an internal moral excellence that overflows in an outpouring of good on others. It manifests itself in other virtues like kindness and generosity and love. And I'll try to, find, try to define goodness a little bit more in just a minute. But first, there's a, a passage that I want to point out that I think sheds further light on goodness and what it can look like in action. So, turn in your Bibles briefly to Matthew chapter 20. We'll be focusing on verse 15, but I'll start in verse 1 of, of Matthew 20. Jesus has been telling a parable to his disciples. He says, I'll give you a second to turn there, Matthew 20, verse 1. He says, For the kingdom of heaven is like a master of a house who went out early in the morning to hire laborers for his vineyard. After agreeing with the laborers for a denarius a day, he sent them into his vineyard. And going out about the third hour, he saw others standing idle in the marketplace and said to them, You go into the vineyard too, and whatever is right I will give you. So they went. Going out about the, f- the sixth hour and the ninth hour, he did the same. And about the eleventh hour, he went out and found others standing. And he said to them, Why do you stand here idle all day? They said to him, because no one has hired us. He said to them, You go into the vineyard too. And when evening came, the owner of the vineyard said to his foreman, Call the laborers and pay them their wages, beginning with the last up to the first. And when those hired about the eleventh hour came, each of them received a denarius. Now when those hired first came, they thought they would receive more. But each of them also received a denarius. And on receiving it, they grumbled at the master of the house, saying, These last worked only one hour, and ye have made them equal to us, who have borne the burden of the day in the scorching heat. He replied to one of them, Friend, I am doing you no wrong. Did you not agree with me for a denarius? Take what belongs to you and go. I chose to give to this last worker as I gave to you. Am I not allowed to do what I choose with what belongs to me? Or do you begrudge my generosity? So the last will be first and the first last. But notice in verse 15 where he says, Or do you begrudge my generosity? The ESV smooths out the translation. But if you were to translate it woodenly and literally... It would read more like this. It would say, um, he says, am I not allowed to do, sorry, this is, this is ESV, am I not allowed to do what I choose with what belongs to me, or do you begrudge my generosity? But literally, instead of, or do you begrudge my generosity, it's, or is your eye evil because I am good? See the connection? Love or excuse me, evil and good, are being contrasted. Evil was displayed in jealousy and bitterness of the workers. Good was manifested in generosity. 
the landowner was good. And that was displayed by his being generous to the workers who started late. He paid them a full day's wage for part of a day's work. So now let me give you my attempt at a, at a shorter definition of goodness. Goodness, as Paul is using it here, can be defined as a moral uprightness that produces a disposition of goodwill and overflows with good deeds toward others. Let me read that again. Goodness is a moral uprightness that produces a disposition of goodwill and overflows with good deeds toward others. A moral uprightness that produces a disposition of goodwill and overflows with good deeds toward others. I call it a disposition of goodwill because it's not just doing good deeds alone without an upright heart. And it's not an upright heart that doesn't do anything. Goodness is the overflow of a heart transformed by the gospel. It's the kind of attitude that's always ready to do good at a moment's notice to any person at any time and with all the resources at our disposal. It's a heart that has been totally freed up to pour itself out for others with no hesitation, with no strings attached, with no ulterior motives, and without having to be forced. Goodness happens when we come to know the magnitude of what God has done for us in Christ. Think about it. You were dead in your trespasses and sins. We might have pretended to love God, but before salvation, the only person we truly loved was ourselves. But even though we were thoroughly evil, God chose to lavish his goodness on us. He sent his only son to pay the debt for our sin. He adopted us into his family. He gave us a relationship with himself. He gives us good things to enjoy, like food and clothing and shelter every day. He gives us his word so that we can know about him and know how we should live. And he gave us a promise that he's coming back for us one day. When God saves us and transforms our hearts so that we appreciate his goodness toward us, it makes us want to reflect that goodness toward others. It's as if God pours so much goodness of his into our lives that we just can't help but reflect that goodness toward other people. It's like a bucket with holes in the bottom. God pours in, and we automatically pour it out on others. We do it not out of necessity, but because... and not because we feel guilty, but because we're too full of joy and thanksgiving for how God has been good toward us that we just simply can't contain it. Have you ever met someone like that? A person who just seems to overflow with goodness every time you're around them? Someone that every time you see them, they either give you something or, or say something kind and encouraging to you, or maybe they just listen to whatever's on your mind and take such an interest in you that you, they, that you know that they love and care about you. That's a person who displays goodness. It's the kind of person that no matter whatever, what, it, what is going on with you, no matter how discouraged you are, they just make the world seem like a better place whenever you're around them. One couple in our church who I think is an excellent example of this is Titus and Claire Glick. 
you may or may not know them, but they're an older couple. They've been here for a long time. And if you, if you do know them, you'll know exactly what I'm talking about. I don't know if I've ever met a couple who is more generous and kind than they are. They're always hospitable. They're always giving or lending something to someone else. When I was younger, I used to think that they just really liked our family for some reason. <laughs> because they were just always doing such kind things for us and sharing what they had with us or letting us just come and spend time down on their farm and treat, us almost, treat it almost as if it was our own. But as I got older, I realized that the Glicks treated everyone that way. It wasn't just our family. That's just how the Glicks were, and they still are that way. Goodness is the stranger who stops by the side of the road and fixes your flat and won't let you pay him for his trouble. Or the friend that you know you can always count on whenever you're going through a hard time. Or the elderly neighbor lady who always invites you in every time you go past and gives you a snack and talks to you and asks how you're doing. Or the parent or mentor who always seems to find time to listen to your problems and give you advice and encouragement. So hopefully that gives you somewhat of a sketch of of what goodness looks like in action and what Paul's talking about in in Galatians 5.22. So now that we have a better understanding of what goodness looks like, we still have a problem. The problem is that our lives don't look like this all the time. In fact, sometimes our lives can look pretty much the opposite of this. So this leads us to the second thing that we need to know about goodness. The second thing we need to know is why we struggle with goodness. When I was a a newer believer, I used to think that the Christian life ought to be relatively easy now. After all, as new creatures in Christ, shouldn't sin and selfish desires be pretty much a, a thing of the past or at least be incredibly weak? Shouldn't virtues like goodness just naturally flow out of us all the time without much struggle on our part? That would be nice, but this side of eternity, it's not quite that easy. Even though the Spirit is at work in us to grow us in goodness, we have a responsibility in the process, and it takes effort. And unfortunately, we all fail often during this process of growth. And there can be all kinds of reasons that we, that we fail at goodness. We can often be too self-absorbed to care about other people. We can even be bitter and jealous against other people and wish them harm. Sometimes we can be caught up too much in our own goals and pleasures and desires, so much that we just don't really care about what's going on in other people's lives. Some of us can be too concerned about doing all the right things and having people approve of us and think well of us and being the best at what we do that we forget to think about and to care for our spiritual health. We can get so focused on doing good that we neglect being a person characterized by goodness. We may have the actions, but not the character. Instead of loving others and doing good to them, we can start to grow bitter and resentful 
when it doesn't go as well as we hope or when it's just continually hard to do all the right things. We can start to see other people as obstacles that get in the way of what we want or in the way of what we're supposed to do. Or worse, we can see them as tools that we can use to get what we want. So how can you tell if this is starting to happen to you? Look at your attitude toward other people. How do you feel, for instance, when one of your classmates gets praised by your teacher instead of you? Are you happy for them, or are you jealous of them? Do you rehearse in your mind all the reasons that they didn't deserve that and why you should have gotten praised instead? How about when you get stuck in a group assignment with classmates who don't take responsibility and you end up having to pick up their slack? Do you cheerfully do all you can because you know that it helps your classmates and honors the Lord? Or do you grumble and complain about how unfair it is? Now maybe you do need to have a conversation with those people and appeal to them that they need to repent for their irresponsibility and laziness. But what's your attitude toward, toward them like in the meantime? Are you secretly wishing the whole time that your grade could afford for you to let this assignment flop just so that you could show your lazy classmates the consequences? This kind of sinful response and this attitude is more like the works of the flesh than the fruit of the Spirit. It's the opposite of goodness. And all of us are going to have different areas where we struggle more with failing to show goodness. So you need to pay attention to the areas in your life that are harder for you. So there are practical things that we need to do to repent and pursue goodness. But don't forget while you're doing that. The reality is that we all fail to display goodness at times. Jesus told the rich young ruler in Luke 18, 19, no one is good except God alone. The truth is that if we're just trying to do good on our own, we're going to fail every time. That's why goodness is one of the fruits of the, of the Spirit. God's Holy Spirit has to produce goodness in our hearts because goodness doesn't come from us. It has to come from God. All right, so we're looking at three things that we need to know about goodness. We've already looked at number one and number two. We need to know what it is and why we struggle with it. But it's not enough to know about goodness. It's not enough to know what it is and why we fail at it. Third, we need to know how we can cultivate it in our lives. If we come away from this morning totally unchanged, we almost might as well have slept in. But now we have an interesting problem. We're commanded to be full of goodness, but goodness is something we can't produce on our own. So what do we do? We're commanded to have it, but we can't produce it. And this is the case with every type of fruit of the Spirit, not just goodness. We have a responsibility to have it, but only God has the ability to produce it. That's why we have to rely on God's power. Trying harder on your own isn't enough, and it would be incredibly discouraging if that was all that we did. But thankfully, this isn't our only option. 
For those of us who are true believers in Christ, God has already given us all that we need to be able to obey Him. If you're a believer, God has already given you His Spirit. Think about that. The Spirit of the God of the universe is living inside of you right now. That should fill you with hope that goodness is possible. Because God's Spirit is, in, is operating inside you, goodness is being produced in you right now. Our job now is, as Paul says, to walk by the Spirit. That means we live our lives under the Spirit's influence, in obedience to His Word. Even though we can't produce goodness on our own without the Spirit, we can choose to obey the Spirit. And with His help, goodness will be produced as the result. So how do we pursue the fruit of the Spirit and goodness specifically? Well, we need to know first that it's important. That's what we've been talking about today. We need to realize how we fall short. As I said, we need to pinpoint the trouble spots for us specifically. So find one or two of the most noticeable areas in your life where you fall short of goodness. Then confess it to God and ask for His help. Next, if you've sinned against anyone in that area, you need to go to them and confess your sin and ask for their forgiveness. Then, you need to think about what it would look like to obey in that area and plan for how you're going to to obey next time. Then we need to turn our eyes to Jesus and what he did for us. Remember, goodness isn't pulling yourself up by the bootstraps and doing more good things, although we do need to do good things. But being people who are characterized by goodness is much more than just doing good things. And if we only do good things without being people characterized by goodness, we'll end up frustrated and discouraged and spiritually dry. But the more we stop putting our trust in our own efforts and look to Christ, the good shepherd, and what he's done for us, the more that you'll see love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, and goodness growing in your lives as a result. We need to ask God to grow us in this fruit of the Spirit. We need to trust His promises that He will grow us. He said that He would and that He will perfect the work that He started in us. We need to plan for how we'll obey this coming week. We need to thank God for whenever He helps us to obey. You realize, do you realize that whenever you obey God and do the right thing and show goodness in your life, He's the one who produced that, and that's a sign that He is working and fulfilling His promise to you? So some final encouragement. I have a few verses that, that have been encouraging to me. First one is 1 Thessalonians 5.15. He says, See that no one repays evil for evil, but always seek to do good to one another and to everyone. So the one another, I think that's other believers in the church. 
their first priority. And it also says to everyone. Galatians 6.10 says, So then, as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone, and especially those who are of the household of faith. Ephesians 2.10 says, For he, we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. So before we were even born, God prepared good works for us to do. And he made us into his workmanship. He's forming Christ-like character in us. And when it comes time, he gives us those good works to do. Ephesians 6, 8 says, Knowing that whatever good anyone does, he will receive back from the Lord, whether he is a bondservant or is free. So any good thing that you do in this life, there's a promise here that you will receive it back from the Lord. And he pays with interest too. Any good thing you do, any sacrifice that you make, anything that you give up to display goodness, anything that you share with other people now, God will repay that fully, if not now, in eternity. So let's pursue goodness in our lives this week, knowing that it's God who is at work in us, both to will and to do for his good pleasure. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for your love for us. Thank you for sending your Son, who did what we could never do, who was truly good, who fully kept the law because we couldn't. And now his righteousness is credited to our account and his goodness is being produced in our lives. Thank you so much that we get to have your word to show us how to live. Thank you for your spirit who gives us the power to obey it. Thank you for a church full of believers who can come alongside us and encourage us and help us to continue to grow. Thank you for saving us and transforming our hearts so that all of this is possible now. I pray that you would help us this week to pursue goodness in our lives, to root out any areas where we're letting bitterness or envy, or pride fester. And to replace it with good. To not be overcome by evil, but to overcome evil with good. And we thank you for your help in doing it. Thank you that you're already at work in us to produce this good. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen.